imagine how, how it could be in larger churches or even believers that don't go to church anymore because they, they, they forgot to, to look at their brothers and, and forgive them. We need to be reconciled to one another. If you're at the altar asking to be forgiven and you haven't forgiven that person, then how can you be forgiven? We're not talking about going to hell here. We're talking about standards. If there's anybody in this church, I just advise you to go to one another and make up with one another. It needs to be done. Unsolved anger, Jesus is saying in verse 25. Let me read it to you. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer. In other words, you're going to be judged for it. So when you get before the Lord God in heaven, you, you want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He just might not say that because you failed on loving our brothers. If you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love God who you have not seen, says the epistles. Number three. The supremacy of Christ's word, number three, is going to deal with adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. <laughs> we know that, right? You're not supposed to get adultery. Listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you, in other words, I'm overriding this. Ah, my word's more supreme. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a principle. That goes the other way around, too. If you, young lady, have looked with lust upon a man, you also committed adultery. You're guilty. Whether it's a man or a woman. There's a principle here. He's saying it's not the outward action, it's the inward heart. And we got to correct these hearts. That's why I prayed earlier today, like Jeremiah said, is not my word a hammer that smashes rocks? The hearts need to be smashed today. Adultery today out in the world doesn't even mean adultery. Even in the church, it doesn't mean adultery anymore. They just took away the sin part of it and claimed that, well, you know, who knows? Who knows what they do? But, you know, I heard one person say to me many, many years ago, how am I going to know if we're going to be sexually compatible? I said, I don't know, but you have a lifetime to figure it out. The principle here is the attitude of your heart. That's what Jesus is driving at here. Attitude versus action. They both produce the same thing, sin. Jesus is going on. Here's three ways to interpret the next couple verses, 29 and 30. 29 and verse 30. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of your parts, parts of you, your body, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Whew. 
Hey, that's some tough words, right? Listen, you know how many people took this verse literally? And they actually did that? I believe I've heard things over the years. There's three ways to interpret this verse, what Jesus is saying here, about the plucking of eye and the cutting out of the hand. Number one, there's literal. Jesus is not talking literal here. He's not talking literal. Just like in John chapter 2, he said, you destroy this temple and I'll, I'll raise it up in three days. He wasn't talking about a literal temple. He was talking about the new temple to come, the body. He said, I'll re you kill this flesh of mine, in three days I will raise it up. He's talking spiritual. Jesus could be talking He's not, Jesus isn't preaching self-mutilation before we go on. He does not teach self-mutilation. He's trying to drive home a point here. It's, it could be interpreted uh, figuratively, which is metaphorically. He's dealing harshly with sin. That's what he's doing here. He's talking figuratively. He's dealing harshly with sin. You better realize how terrible this is. Now, or he could be talking sarcastically. Okay? In other words, come on. People understand this. What he's saying to them is you need a Savior, guys. It's all along. You need a Savior. None of you are fit for the kingdom of heaven. And I might say that to anybody listening here or those here today. You're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. This is a time of preparation if you're a saint. You're preparing yourself for the kingdom of heaven. And I think just like I taught on Thursday night that Joseph was in prison for, for so many years so that he would, even in Potiphar's house, for administration skills that he got in Potiphar's house, administration skills he got in the prison so that when he gets to be the prime minister of Egypt, he's going to know how to handle himself. He's going to, he's going to have what it takes. So we're, Joseph was getting fit for his kingdom of heaven as we are getting fit on earth for the position we're going to take in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount ought to ought have driven this home to you. The cross, the cross of Christ is, it should be your cry for mercy. Here's the fourth supreme words of Christ. And he's going to deal with divorce here. He's going to deal with divorce. Verse 31, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her. Let me get, let me get to the Bible part here. We'll get to the verse 31. It was said, whoever sends away his wife, let him give her a certificate of a divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries her and divorced woman commits adultery. Listen, it's talking about, listen, in the New King James Version, it's talking about sexual immorality. In the King James Version, it's talking about fornication. In the New, New American Standard, it's talking about unchastity, the word for sexual immorality. In the NIV, it's talking about unfaithfulness. We're talking, there has to be a good reason for it, sexual immorality. 
There's passages all through the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16, Matthew 19, 1 through 12, Mark 10, 1 through 12, and Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 3. You know, Jesus is dealing with divorce. You And back in these days, the, 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 the Jews, if he didn't like the way his wife cooked, he could divorce her. He didn't like that she forgot something when she went to the store. He could divorce her. Jesus is saying, no, no, you can't do it. You don't like her, then I'm sorry, you're stuck with her. There's no, there's no divorce unless she or you were unfaithful. It's talking about uncleanness, indecency, nakedness even. You can't divorce her because she gained weight. You can't divorce her if she came down with a chronic illness. It's adultery if you do so. There was a wife that said to the pastor, you know, I don't love my husband anymore. The pastor says, well, do you think he would be your enemy? She says, yeah, he's my enemy. He says, good, because you're supposed to love your enemies. You can't divorce your husband or wife just because you want to. There's got to be a good reason for it. Adultery. And it goes on. And those other passages I gave you will tell you a little bit more detail. If your spouse is unfaithful, you're free. They aren't. They aren't. They'll be living in adultery. Here's, and Jesus now is going to talk about the supremacy of making an oath. So far, we've dealt with righteousness, murder and forgiveness, adultery, divorce, and now Jesus is going to attack a vo- a, being your word, your word. He says, again, you have heard the ancients said, you shall not make false vows or an oath. Here's what Jesus said, verse 34, 35. But I say to you, in other words, my word is supreme over what you say. The Jews didn't like this. I'm going to tell you right now. He's already exercising authority. And you remember it says in the Bible that many people came to Jesus because he wasn't teaching like the scribes. He was teaching with power and authority. And that's what he's doing here. I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, because it is the throne of God, or by earth, because it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. And he, here, he just put it simply as the next verse. Nor make an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, Just do what you say. Honor your word. Honor your word. In ancient times, an oath was like a contract. Today, an oath, the Lord wants you to do it on your own integrity. You'll do the right thing without anybody watching. You'll do the right thing. 
It's not a contract. It's marriage, for example, since that was our last uh, supremacy talk that Jesus had, is not a contract. It is a covenant. And a covenant is, involves blood. And that's why the two shall be made one flesh. It's your integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I tell you something. When I started business and uh, when I was a young kid, I was a teenager actually, started a sign company. And it was in the city of Pittsburgh. From the time I was maybe 14 to the time I was 41, I owned a business. And from... From the time I started the business in the 60s and quit the business in the early 90s, I can count on one hand the number of contracts that I had, written contracts, one hand, maybe two or three. Because your word was your word. Today, once I came to Florida, there's I could count on one hand the numbers I didn't have on a contract because people weren't good for their word anymore. The times have changed, and it's even worse now. I've been out of that field for 20-plus for years probably now, and I'll tell you what, I ho I, it, it looks bad. I couldn't trust anybody. When I finally closed my business time, I got hit for $14,000 and $25,000 consecutively or two clients that wouldn't pay their bills. And that hurt to the point where I just closed the company down. And I had them on contract, signed contract. Your word don't mean anything anymore, and even a signed contract don't mean anymore. You can turn, you can turn it into the lawyers and they'll fight it in court for 10 years. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, because you know what? You know what? God swore by his own integrity because he's, he's the only one that's integrable. He can swear by his own integrity. And here it even says it in Hebrews 6.13. When God made an oath to Abraham, because he could swear by nothing greater, he swore by himself. He swore by himself. You can't do anything. You've got to just live by integrity. You've got to live by integrity. Your yes should be yes. Your no should be no. Now, in verse 38, we're going to see the sixth time Jesus is going to show the supremacy of his word and his retaliation. Verse 38, if you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, here's talking about personal rights. Again, he uses some strong metaphoric action. He's not talking literally. He's talking figuratively. You know, not, you're not going to, you know, uh, pluck out your eye or your tooth. He's saying, listen, get, get, to, get to know this. This is serious stuff. Get to know. You can't be retaliatory. You can't have, you can't come against your brother. You're, you're, you got to obey the kingdom standards. If someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak also. Somebody slaps you on one cheek, give them your other cheek. 
Jesus is telling you, you know, figuratively, that you're supposed to not be in, in retaliation for somebody that does evil to you. You should take it. Doesn't mean that you don't have to defend yourself. Somebody comes at you with a weapon, and you have a weapon, you have every right. Because Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about just doing what's right. I saw a sign one day, it was on the internet, and it said, Love everyone, God will sort them out later. And that's what Jesus is, God is saying. And Paul's saying in Romans 12, 19, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And even goes in Deuteronomy 32, 35, To me belongs vengeance. This is God talking. Hey, let God worry about it. Don't worry about it yourself. If the, if the soldier asks you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Say, I enjoyed talking. Preach to him all the way. How about that? We just got to let go of our own ambitions and let God do his work. The seventh and the last time Jesus is going to show the supremacy of his words, he's going to deal with hatred. Hatred. Verse 43, you have heard it was said, love your enemies, and I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And then he goes, but I say to you, but I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, bless them, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. Whole different story than what man wants to do when they're hated or when they hate someone. God tells you to love your enemy, just like the wife. I don't love my husband. Well, where does it say in the Bible that you don't, you have to love my, your husband? And it really doesn't say that the wife is supposed to love her husband. It says that her wife is supposed to serve and respect her husband. But love and respect go together, just so you know that. It's like the father and the son. The right hand of, of love of God is re, uh, love is respect. The right hand of God is Jesus. You have to respect your husband. And besides that, if you hate him, and I've seen it, I've counseled many married couples. I've seen that hate spirit, and it is ugly. It is ugly. But if you hate your uh, husband or you hate your neighbor, God's telling you, you've got to turn this around. You can't hate. You're supposed to love your enemy. You're supposed to love your husband, woman. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to bless those who curse you. If somebody throws a curse on me, I just, I just go to the Word of God, and I say, Nehemiah 13.3, if, if, uh, if any, your enemy curses you, you know that um, God will turn it around on him. How does it go exactly? It, it does. It, it, it does that. I pray all the time. Psalm, what is it? Psalm 7, verse around 25, 26. It says, when your enemy digs a ditch for you to fall into, he will fall into it himself. So when the devil comes against me, I say, you dug a ditch for me to fall in. How about if you fall in the bottomless pit? And I rebuke him in Jesus' name. Because that pit was dug for him, not for me or for you. 
You bless those who curse you. God turns curses into blessings. Balaam wanted to curse Israel. He was told to curse Israel. But every time he prayed, a blessing would come out. You're supposed to bless those. And then even, even in that passage is where God says, bless those who, who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. You know what? We know from Scripture that if your enemy's hungry, you're supposed to give them bread to eat because it's like heaping burning coals on their head. They can't figure out how you could be so nice to them when you were, he was, they were so mean to you. It's like burning coals. Romans uh, 12.20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If in, doing, if in doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. Proverbs 25.22 says that too. You know, you interpret Scripture by Scripture, that means it's true. It's true. And in verse 45, here, let me, let me, before we go on, everybody wants to hate their enemy. Everybody wants to, to uh, curse those who curse them. Everybody wants to hate those who hate him. Everybody wants to persecute those who persecute him. But the Christian has, has given up his will. Did you know that? When you came to Jesus, you should have gave up your will, your rights, and your control. Your will, your rights, and control. If you want to be completely de de delivered from something in your life, give up your rights, your will, and your control, and you're halfway there through deliverance. You too, you want to give the control, the will, and the, and the rights over to Almighty God. And he's telling you, turn the hate to love, turn the curse into blessing, turn the persecution into prayers. In doing so, you'll just heap burning coals on your enemy's head. They don't get it. And then, verse 45. Where'd it go? So, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you do these things, what Jesus is saying here is you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God because that's what he would do. As I said, you're living in a time of grace. God did not kill Cain because he killed Abel. God put a mark on him and said if anybody kills him, they're going to answer to him. God was showing grace. And that, now that we live in a time of grace, we need to show grace to people. You're sons of our fathers. And what does your father want? He, he, your father is like this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That if you just believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. Here's, this is God. You're sons of your father. You demonstrate your love towards people. And even though they're sinners, you'll forgive them. God did that. He demonstrated love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to do the same thing. We're sons of the Father. Here's the application of everything that we just studied here. Is kingdom people need to de be different than the world. We need to be different than the world. If the church is different than the world, and we love one another, and don't have wish bad on one another, Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And if you love one another, everybody, they, they will all know that you are my disciples because you love one another. So, love people, 
and let God sort it out later. We are to love unconditionally. Unconditional love is the love which is from the Father. Unconditional, agape love. You remember Jesus? He demonstrated this on the cross. If you remember right, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You are to be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the only way you can achieve that is by claiming the righteous cloak of Jesus Christ. Turn to Psalm 61 real quick. Not Psalm 61, Isaiah. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Say it every time. These pages are so thin. Man. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has wrapped me in the robe of his righteousness. That's what you are, church, today. You are wrapped in the robes of Jesus' righteousness, and he just taught you how to get, how to how supreme his words are by dealing with unrighteousness, murder, adultery, divorce, vows or oaths, retaliation, and hatred. If you do these supreme instructions from Christ, you are well on your way to perfection, but you're not perfect. Okay? We are to get there as as well as we can. If any of you have been guilty or, or need to come up to the altar today to pray, then you do it. Don't put it off till tomorrow because, you know, a time has a, a way of putting things off. So if you have anything with your brother, your, you know, uh, if you're thinking murder or somebody or whatever, adultery, divorce, then come on up to the altar and I'll pray with you. So let's pray. Father, today, thank you for your word, Lord. Beautiful, beautiful words of Jesus. What would we do without the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to live in the age of grace. I would have hated to live, you know, in the the time of the Mosaic Law where I couldn't do anything. And even then, I was a Gentile. But, Lord, thank you for us living in the age of grace. Thank you for bringing a light into the darkness of the Gentile nations and bringing them to know Messiah. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord. May we go from this place and with the essence and the perfume and the aroma of Jesus Christ, our Lord, upon each and every one of us. And may you receive the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you. The altar is open. The altar is open.